0: I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron-specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, but holy fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys, today I want to talk about trauma and the word traumatized because generally speaking, this word is being completely overused in parenting. You hear it all the time. I don't want to traumatize him. I'm afraid I'm traumatizing him. And I want to break this down because it's really important, both how we view it and how we speak about it. So it's widely known in counseling, therapy, psychological circles, that there is trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T, all by way of saying there are big obvious traumas and there are the smaller traumas that can often be very, very hurtful as well. Big trauma includes all the things that are actually traumatic, as in you will experience PTSD, have post-traumatic stress syndrome they will affect your physical and mental well being. Things like physical and mental abuse, severe neglect, all these things that go into big trauma. I worked in social services in a major metropolitan area in San Francisco, and I have seen the worst of the worst in abuse and neglect, like stories that would make your toes curl. And I think maybe that's why sometimes when I hear parents talk, that they are traumatizing their kids at the playground, I think it goes in my head a little sideways. The psychological ramifications of trauma with a big T are usually pretty horrific, but we also now know that certain trauma literally affects brain development. So capital T trauma is really, really serious. It's not just about psychological stuff. It's about literally people are not as intelligent. Their brain development gets stymied with this kind of trauma. This trauma is often generational. And what I've seen in my work, it gets handed down because the people involved don't have the resources to get the help they need. In other words, people who are beaten usually do go on to give children beatings. In many cases, they even don't even know they're perpetuating the abuse, right? There's this level of not digging, a level of unconsciousness, a level of not looking at themselves. And there's poverty, class, racism, all these things keep families from getting the help they might need. And there is this consciousness that for whatever reason, and I believe there are all kinds of reasons, like I just listed, that keep people from being able to examine their own behavior and how it might be affecting their kids. And again, in the circles I worked in, in social services, it was poverty. If you're working three jobs, you don't have a whole lot of time to think about your parenting, yeah, or your actions. Then we have the flip side, which is overeducated, overread, especially overread in parenting books, articles, blogs, philosophies. Overly conscious about how our parental actions affect our kids, we tend to pathologize every breath, and in general, we worry way too much. This is the camp of "I don't want to traumatize him with a timeout." This is generally found in the sort of gentle parenting circles, and it is completely overusing the word traumatize. Most of us, I think, are somewhere in the middle, right? We're trying our best to be kind and loving and raise good kids, and we occasionally lose our shit. We're aware that we're not traumatizing our kids with the big T trauma, right? We're not neglecting, we're not you know, beating, obviously, but we're also aware of the little T trauma, and we're trying our best to prevent that because we do know that little T trauma is as important, right? And so one of the things that I always go back to is like, I'll use this personal example, is, you know, I've been very straightforward about having grown up in an alcoholic household. Well, my father was very, very abusive. And so, you know, you go into therapy and of course you deal with the fact that you were abused as a kid, you know, physically abused. And that's, that's big T trauma, Right. And of course, every therapist, like, that's a therapist's wet dream, right? You want to like work through all this stuff and it's obvious. Yeah. It's obvious that I had issues <laughs> in my 20s because I was physically abused. Now, there's a ton of little t trauma, and that is the little t trauma tends to be the stuff that nobody thinks. It takes years to dig to it, right? It's like the idea that I grew up in an alcoholic household, uh, aside from the obvious abuse, there were all these little things, right? Like how alcoholics respond to kids. And that takes years again to get to and to figure that out and figure out how you exist in the world because of these little things, yeah? So that's just a personal example of of like the difference. And there's there's a whole bunch of differences that we're going to explore. So I want to get a few things straight as we launch into this, because I think- We should all get better language and be really clear in our words. If you are listening to this podcast, this automatically puts you in the upper echelon of parenting. And I am not saying this to blow smoke up your ass for listening to me. It means you listen to podcasts, which means you spend some of your downtime, even if that downtime is driving, right? to learn more. You're listening to a parenting podcast, which means you're conscious of your parenting, which means you're invested in doing a good job or at least a better job, right? And I realize you probably hang out with other people like this, so you might not think too much about it, but in the broad spectrum of the world, I can promise you that you are in the upper echelon of parenting. So that being said, I would like you to stop using the word Traumatizing. It desensitizes the word and it makes it murky. You are not traumatizing your child. Timeouts are not traumatizing. Potty training, not traumatizing. Sleep training, not traumatizing. Trauma with a little t is about childhood wounds. So let's call them that, right? It's not necessarily trauma it's wounds. They're little scars on the heart that affect us later in life. There are these small moments that add up to these childhood wounds, right? I think little T trauma is almost always based in shame. And I call them scars on the heart, right? Like they're these little things that kind of scratch the heart, like a little kitten, right? Or, you know, a newborn with their little razor sharp nails. They don't do a whole lot of damage. They don't wreck us. They don't ruin our lives, but they start to accumulate, right? And if somebody consistently scratches at your your skin, eventually you're going to bleed, right? But here's the trick. And you got to listen to me here, guys. (laughs) This is really important. You can be the most amazing parent in the world who is there and available for every emotional and physical need your child has. And your child is going to grow up and have some childhood wounds. Yes, it is going to happen no matter how wonderful a parent you are. We all get them from various things. It's part of the human experience and part of what makes life this life so fantastic. When we can figure out our wounds, when we can figure out how to heal them, when we can live in harmony with other people and keep our relationships vibrant and beautiful, that's it, right? You may not be the cause of these wounds. The nature of the beast is that there is almost always going to be a shaming situation for your child out in society. Shame goes hand in hand with humiliation. And some of this is really uncontrollable. Okay, first time for me that I walked out of the bathroom with my dress tucked into my pantyhose, I was mortified. Of course, I felt the deepest shame you could possibly know. And I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out that this is actually a skill of mine and I do it so often that I have really stopped being mortified because at this point, the whole world has seen my ass. (laughs) Your child, if they are living A good, robust life is at some point going to be humiliated and shamed. It might be by a nasty teacher. It might be by a bad coach. It might be by another shitty kid. It might be by just circumstance. You really can't do much about it. We as parents don't have to contribute to it, of course, but my larger point is that you can't protect your child fully from it. And I think that goes a long way in helping you be sane about this. Yeah, that's where this trauma with a little T comes into play. It may be the time you had to stand up in class and the teacher badgered you for an answer you didn't know, right? It may have been some shitty kid making fun of your high water pants because you just had a growth spurt. It might be someone making fun of your hair, your weight, your foot size. It may have been walking out of the ladies room with your dress tucked into your nylons. (laughs) These cause us to have an internal reaction, right? They make us extra vulnerable. And while we were being weak, someone kicked us while we were down. And it's shocking how much these little events can change how we react and interact with others. Now, again, it's worth noting that we can't really control this. It's bound to happen, but what we can do is not add to it for sure. And what we can also do is help our kids be a little more resilient to it. So let's start by really breaking down shame. Because again, I just think this is the crux of it all. I want to talk about Brene Brown, but first I have to be very vulnerable with you and admit that I have this tiny sliver of jealousy when it comes to Brene Brown. If you don't know her, please stop and Google her. She's amazing. But one of the things that I'm jealous of is I had just started to figure out all this stuff about shame when she came onto the scene with her book and like defined it and opened up all these these amazing paths and doors to to shame research and healing shame and being more vulnerable in the world. So, I just have to say that out loud. Like I'm a little bit jealous that she got to it before me. <laughs> but there's no denying she is absolutely amazing and seriously like go look her up if you've never heard of her. She's actually done research into shame and found She's just, her body of work is incredible. I do find her books to be a little bit repetitive. So I would suggest maybe just one or two of them, but she is amazing. And she defines shame as this. It is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be a source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. Yes. Disconnection. There it is. Disconnection, right? Me, Jamie, personally, I think this is so awful a feeling that we as humans will do anything to run from it. And we see this in our kids when we shame them, but either on purpose or unconsciously. Usually the reaction we get from them is this like, this huge like tantrumy reaction, right? Because it feels so yucky that we will do almost anything to avoid it. This is how You guys, this is how people get involved with drugs and alcoholism because of shame. People ruin relationships because of their shame and not being able to deal with it. I have a lot of examples of this, so I hope I'm not boring you guys with um, my personal examples. People say they really like them and they're helpful, so that's why I'm using them. I'm not trying to be like, hey, this is all about me. (laughs) The first time I really noticed this shame, like I I was talking about this time, like right before Brene Brown came out. The first time I really noticed it was in someone else. And of course, it's always easiest to see shit in other people, right? I was deeply in love with a man who'd had an awful childhood. He had like this crazy trauma with a capital T, it, like being caged in the basement kind of trauma. Yeah. The very short version of the long story of this love affair is that, you know, he let on that he had done a lot more healing than he had, and he really hadn't done any healing. So of course he was a disaster right under the surface. And one of the things I had started to notice is that whenever I had to confront him about anything, which happens in a relationship, even the tiniest little thing, he'd get explosive. And I started to really realize that, I called it the wall of shame and it would go up like a bank vault. It would be like, and it would be disproportionate to the thing I said. Like I could say something like, oh, oh geez, you didn't pick up the bananas from the store. And his reaction would be akin to, I just accused him of murdering small children. And so I started to realize, wow, there's this wall of shame. And once I could see it in him, I could really see it. I could start to see it in myself and I could see it kind of all over the place. Uh, We went to therapy and tried to work it out. And the short story is it didn't work. But all by way of saying, this was my introduction to that wall of shame. Have you ever tried to hash out some sort of conflict with someone and you get met with this like total and utter defensiveness you know, you're like, hey, I want to talk about something. No, I didn't. <laughs> you know, or worse. Well, you know, you, uh, uh, you guys, I'm working this out with a friend of mine and it's just awful because I'll be like, I'll say something like, you know, like I feel blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, last year when you did blah, 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 I felt. And I'm like, mm, yeah, not really cool to bring up the thing I did last year when I'm trying to bring up something currently, right? So that's shame. That's shame. And so I'm trying to have compassion with this particular friend because I'm like, okay, I can see that this is your shame that I had to call you out on something. And I try to notice it, of course, in myself. It's like when somebody says something to me, I try to hear it first. My very first thought is, okay, apologize because you did something wrong. Even if you didn't do something wrong, the other person perceived it as wrong. So I And I try to teach Pascal this too. It doesn't matter if somebody bumps into me, steps on my toe, hurts my feelings. The very first thing out of the other person's mouth should be, I'm sorry. Can I please explain, you know, my thought process? Can I please explain what happened? Can I please explain? But very first thing is I'm sorry. Yeah. But when you're met with that utter and total defensiveness, that's the wall of shame. And it's always based in childhood wounds, you guys. It's based in the wound that we aren't good enough and that there's disconnection coming because we're flawed. Spoiler alert, we're all flawed. <laughs> So when someone triggers that, or I like to say toggles a button, yeah, because trigger is such a weird word right now, also overused. But when somebody triggers that switch or toggles that switch in us, it's our greatest fear, right? That we aren't good enough. And because of that, we aren't lovable and all our emotional defenses must go to protect ourselves. That is a scathing thought to have it. It is unbearable that we aren't good enough and aren't lovable. In my psychology work, I would say this is that we're actually gonna use all our defenses to protect that wounded child from reliving, refilling that particular pain. That's how deep shame is just, shame is gross. Like I think a shame is like this drippy, you know, the Nickelodeon slime Thing I don't know if I'm dating myself or, but it just feels like it's just like a slime that covers you. The, the The pain of shame is so huge. So partly, this episode is a call for you to heal those wounds as the adult, but also to see what we can do to not contribute to the wounds in our childhood to begin with, right? And as I've said that's actually impossible. It's going to happen. Your child's going to experience wounds no matter what you do. You're going to fuck it up. No one can be perfectly attentive, perfectly perfect for another person. You can't no matter how hard you try. So number one, here's what we got to deal with. Stop trying to be perfect. (laughs) Stop trying. I see parents bending over backwards, contorting themselves, trying to be fully present all the time, trying to be responsive to all their children's physical, emotional needs, trying to help them avoid any bad feelings whatsoever. It is going to happen. Yeah, out in the world, this is going to happen. And here's a crucial thing. Go back to my podcast episode, Psycho Mom. It's one of my most popular episodes in season one. When we try to be everything and we naturally can't, no one can, we end up going ballistic and losing our shit. And that is what is actually damaging because we say damaging things that we can't take back. Yeah. It's so that's, that's just a really huge point is that's what I totally encourage parents and this, especially coming out of the pandemic, you guys, like, You can't be everything. If you say, I'm going to give my kids 110% today, you're fucking it up right off the bat because you're not going to be able to do that. And when we try to put on this game face and try to be super attentive, the flip side is you're going to go psycho. Yeah. You're going to lose your shit. And that's where the damage comes in. So let's dig into some of the ways that we can minimize this. Yeah. Number one, I am not going to sugarcoat this and this has to do with psycho mom. Okay. Okay. You have to deal with your shit, you guys. If you don't have a handle on your emotions, you are going to model shitty behavior for your kid. There are wounds that you need to deal with. I don't care if you don't buy inner child stuff. I don't care if you're like psychology's fucking witchcraft. I don't care. You literally have wounds that you have to deal with if you do not have a handle on your own emotions. Yeah. It's all well and good to couch your rage and say, Oh, I went psycho mom the other day. And believe me, we all have moments that we dysregulate as parents, every single one of us, myself included. Yeah. If you are raging on the regular, if rage and psycho mom and dysregulation are your go to how you deal, you must heal your shit. And listen to me, you do not get to blame your rage on the fact that you're Italian or Russian or Irish or Jewish or Catholic or whatever the fuck it is. You do not get to rage regularly because your parents did and you turned out just fine. No, you did not. Rage is not an appropriate emotion to deal with our children. Dysregulation is not appropriate. Okay. And again, We all do it. (laughs) It happens, but it should be on the fly. I just had a client contact me. She kind of went a little psycho mom because her kid threw a train track at The television, and it just, it came out of the blue. She had no way, all her parenting tools were were for nothing because it just like, the kid went zero to 60 and she went a little psycho mom and she was feeling bad about it. It's like, dude, like you had no skills in that moment. That's totally fine. Like we all have these moments of dysregulation. What I'm talking about are the people, I see it all the time. Oh, I'm just Italian. That's what I do. That this is how we deal. That's not a healthy coping mechanism, okay? So don't let that become your thing. If you find yourself dysregulating, going psycho mom, if you find yourself raging because no one's helping you, Maybe it's not a childhood womb. Maybe it's actual current shit. No one's helping you. No one's listening. You have got to sit with your partner and figure out a life that works for you. It's time to do the work. This is real parenting, you guys, not just taking your kid to the fucking park. Yeah, real parenting is sitting with your partner or yourself if you're single and saying, why am I doing this? How can I rearrange life so I get more help? How can I rearrange things? How can I get help so that my kids do listen more? How can I find time for self-care How can I find time so that I'm not stressed out, okay? And this cycles back to you have to be willing to hear each other with your partner. You have to be willing to confront your flaws. You have to be willing to hear it and and have a dialogue with your partner and not freak the fuck out in your shame, okay? So this is kind of like this tail eating snake because what happens is I do work with parents like this and we're sorting things out and walls of shame go up because they feel... This deep, deep shame at what they've parented wrong or that they're letting down their partner, but we can't work through it because of those works, um, those walls of shame. And by the way, if you do need help with this as a couple, please reach out to me because I can do privates with you guys. I'm really good at helping couples design a harmonious family life when. A partner one, one spouse or the other feels really strung out. There's often sometimes just minor tweaks we can make to the schedule, some minor parenting tweaks that can like totally rearrange your family life to make it more harmonious. So, so be aware of that. If you're using rage as a regular emotional response. When we rage at our kids, we create fear in them. No questions, no questions. We say catastrophic things. You always, you never. That's catastrophic, you guys, catastrophic. Those are not helpful phrases. No one is ever always something or never something, okay? So we can't, um, that was a funny sentence. I think I just said, you are never. (laughs) You are never, always, never, (laughs) anyway, you know what I'm saying? We say shit. We don't mean it. Once those words are out of our mouths, you can't take them back. And that was just such a hard lesson for me to have to learn. Like once you throw words at somebody in anger, in rage, you can't take those words back. You guys, you can't apologize. The damage is done. Yeah. (sighs) The flip side of psycho mom is the silent, but obviously angry mom. I fall into this camp and I learned a long time ago that I couldn't talk. Like if I'm really fucking mad, I can't talk because I'm gonna say really hurtful things, yeah? So I would just like clamp my mouth shut and be quiet. And I always thought I was just being quiet. Well, it turns out that I was not. I was sucking the life force out of anything within a 50 mile radius of me, yeah? I wasn't trying to be passive aggressive, but I was most certainly being passive aggressive. Here's the kick in the ass, you guys. You know who pointed this out to me? Pascal, when he was his very mature eight-year-old self, he pointed out that he felt scared when I was so quiet because I was not just being quiet. I was so obviously, I wasn't slamming things around. I was just sucking the oxygen out of the room. And he he would, thank God, he was able to communicate to me, mommy, that scares me. I don't know what's happening. And I want, you know, I want to do better, but I can't, God love him. God love him for being so mature. (laughs) And I don't often rely on my child to point out my emotional weaknesses, but he's pretty brilliant in that area. So I had to figure out a way to not be that silent, but angry mom. Yeah. Again, we don't want to create fear in our kids because that's when we create that fear, that translates into shame later on in life. That translates into your child not being able to communicate with partners because they're fearful of the response, yeah? I've talked about this in various podcasts, you know, through my own lens of like, I how I still cry at confrontation. I still think someone's going to hit me when I have to confront somebody. It's still very, very hard for me, yeah? Because I was raised in a culture of fear. And so you just want to avoid that culture of fear. When we have these big emotions. When we have these, these reactions that create this fear in our kids, we're reacting this way. We're raging or being silent or whatever, because there's something our kids did or didn't do right. They fucked up in some way. Maybe they weren't listening to us. Maybe they threw something. It doesn't matter. They fucked up in some way. When we have these huge reactions, we are overreacting, right? And we're showing them that fucking up gets you a huge reaction bam, right there, you've created that small wound for future relationships, right? It gets sticky after that. Next up in trying not to create the wounds in the first place, (laughs) be cautious that you always use the words, your behavior is bad, right? Or your behavior is whatever word you want to use for undesirable. I don't particularly like the word bad, right? Maybe I don't like your behavior. Excuse me, your behavior is X, Y, and Z, right? If you feel like you have to say something To the child, just make sure you're separating out behavior from the person. The kid isn't bad. The child isn't bad at their core. Their behavior is shitty. And that's an important thing to to separate out because we can fix behavior. We can't fix who we are, right? So that's just a real important distinction. Here's something really funny and a little bit tricky. Stop saying, oh, you, you need to be a big girl. You need to be a big boy. You're such a big boy. That's no different than saying, you know, man up. That's no different than saying don't cry. Yeah. It's really toxic. It really is. Just stop. You're doing a subtle shaming. That's not going to help the situation you're in. This happens a lot when parents have the first, have a second child and they're like, oh, you're such a big boy. You're such a big boy. It just gets to be too much. And it can be like throwing a bucket of shame onto your child because they feel like they're not measuring up, you know? And it's one thing to say like, oh, wow. You know, you're such a big boy and how you how you help me with the baby. That's a compliment, right? And that's sort of bolstering up some autonomy. But when you use it in a negative sense, like, oh, stop doing that. You're a big boy. That's shaming. Okay. So there's a little bit of a difference there. This next thing is slightly, uh, it's for, you know, slightly older kids, not necessarily your toddler, but you have to be willing to hear and listen to what your kids say when they have a legitimate complaint about you. Okay. If you instantly get defensive when your kid comes to you with something like, you know, I want to talk about it or a mommy, you know, this isn't fair. You, you use your phone all the time. And yesterday you let me use the iPad. And then today you're not, this isn't fair. You have to be willing to not get defensive and you have to be willing to hear what your child is saying. Okay. I know just a lot of parents are like, boom, a wall of shame goes up. A wall of defensiveness goes up in the parent. Yeah. If you instantly feel yourself getting defensive, and this goes for any point in your life, not just your parenting life, you guys, something's up, okay? So be willing to listen to your child. Be willing to listen to the other person. Admit when they're right about you. Admit when somebody has a complaint about you. Be willing to hear it and be willing to change, okay? Don't just defend your actions, especially in relationships that you care about. You know, if it's the lady at the checkout in the grocery store behind you, you don't necessarily have to give her the time of day, but when it's people in your life, you have to you have to be willing to hear them. Again, Pascal's pointed out so many things to me that I do wrong and how I re- react. And I think when I look at my parenting life, that's really the thing I'm the most proud of, uh, that I can hear him, that I listen to his complaints and I say, okay, geez, I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry I reacted that way. I'm going to try to do better. I might need your help. Like in the moment, kind of, we have a hand signal, kind of like a timeout signal so that I know he's feeling a certain way and I can kind of curb my reaction. So I apologize if need be, and I promise you do better. And honestly, that I think is the key to my parenting and the thing that I'm the most proud of that I can really hear him and I can really pivot if I need to. It keeps our channels of communication open, but listen to me, it models how to handle criticism. And that's where I think shame gets so much. It usually comes up like there's They're shaming, you know, again, like the dickhead kid on the bus who's busting your chops. That's there's that kind of shaming. But when I see how shaming children, how it translates into a childhood wound that then translates into how we deal with ourselves and our relationships, it always comes down to conflict, right? When you have a conflict with somebody or there's criticism and criticism has to be brought into the conversation. How you deal with that, that's where you see the shame the most, right? When something goes wrong, we don't feel shame in moments where things go right. We feel it in moments when things go wrong. We want to model how to handle criticism, right? Next up, when your child does something wrong, say it once and let it go. Don't keep reminding them about it. It's really weird because with our kids, we have to say, when we're trying to get good behavior, we often have to say it a billion times, right? Like I asked you a billion times to get something done for good behavior. But when any human does something wrong, they know it. You don't have to keep drilling that in. And I go back to this like earlier episodes, the this the go to your room strategy, right? When your child's falling out or having a huge reaction and you say, you know, why don't you go to your room and settle your body, play with your toys, settle your body, and then they come out. Do you remember the trick? When they have settled their bodies and come out of their room, one of the biggest tricks to that strategy is to not then go over what they did wrong because it's pouring a bucket of shame all over them. They finally settled. The dysregulation often comes from the shame, right? It's not just about that. You reprimanded me. It's that, that fear of connection. I've done something wrong. I'm unlovable. My mom's going to go away. And so that's why you get that huge reaction a lot of times, right? So then they finally settle their bodies. They've regulated themselves in their room. They come out and you're like, Oh, about that thing that you did, bam, you bring them back to that shame. So let it go. You know, when you do something wrong, You know you did it. You don't need somebody reminding you, right? So be willing to just say it once and let it go. Next up, model, 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 model the behavior you're looking for. Stop being defensive. If someone says, oh, wow, you ate that whole bag of chips don't go all defensive, right? I used to teach this to my clients in social services because they were like the most defensive. They were crazy. They were just crazy. I used to work with this one client. She was like, that. she called me a bitch. So I fought her? She got, she got kicked off a public bus because somebody called her a bitch and she started a fight. And I was like, yeah, but you are a bitch. And she started to laugh, right? And I was like, dude, own it. Next time somebody calls you a bitch, why do you have to like, defend your honor. Why do you have to get into this shame? I said, own it. You are a bitch. So we find these like little pockets of shame, right? Like, oh my God, you ate that whole bag of chips. And all of a sudden you get defensive. Why? Because you're shameful. Because you ate a whole bag of chips because you said you were on a a diet and you're trying to lose weight or you feel bad that you're not sharing. I don't know. Whatever it is, you get like, did you eat the bag of chips? Just own it, right? You can laugh about it. If they're saying it as a fact, you could just say, yep, I sure did eat that bag of chips. You want, you want me to replace it, right? If they're being judgy about it, you can say, yep, I sure did. And it was yummy. When you model defensiveness for things, you model shame, right? I'm ashamed and this is how I react. You don't have to feel shame unless you did something really, really shitty. And even then that's not shame, that's guilt. Okay, you guys, I'm sorry. I'm having this like, holy shit moment. What I just said is really important. I'm sitting here talking this out with you and like, I swear to God, it's like uh, the universe just clubbed me over the head. That's it. That's the crux of it, right? There's no reason to feel shame. We don't have to feel it. We can own it. We can laugh about it. We can know that we are flawed and that we're not going to be disconnected and that's it. That's, that's why the wounds, right? Oh my God. I'm losing track here. So the wounds made us feel like we were going to be disconnected. And so, I don't know, like my parents were really shitty about that. They were really shitty about reconnecting. They didn't know how to do that. So that's what it is. When you fuck up as a parent, it's really not about the fuck up. It's about being able to reconnect after the dust settles and being like, I'm sorry, this is what happened. And that's how we avoid the wounds, right? Is we reconnect out of this disconnection because you want to model to your kids that fuck ups happen. If you rage and get defensive, you're modeling that they should be ashamed of fuck ups. Holy shit. This is blowing my mind, you guys. I I hope this is like as big a deal for you as it is for me. All right. I'm actually going to end today because like I'm at a reasonable time, but also, This is a dialogue, guys. I'd love to hear from you. Please comment on this once it's up on Patreon. I know there's gonna be a follow-up to this episode. I know you're gonna have questions and I want your input and feedback on what I've said this far because especially this tail end, like, what if there were no shame? What if we all knew how to laugh it off and not not fill our kids with shame. What if we, what if, if the fear is disconnection, what if we just automatically always reconnected? We had this temporary moment of disconnection, but not this long-term disconnection. Then maybe we could have a culture of no shame, at least in our own homes. It's going to happen, you know, out in society, unless we all change, which I don't see happening. We've got way bigger societal ills right now than been subtle shaming, but, um, but yeah, this is, this is crazy. I think this is so cool. So please, please, please comment so we can have a dialogue and I can hopefully, uh, do a follow-up episode on this. All right, you guys, as always, I thank you and love you for your support here on Patreon out in the world. And if you have any questions, comments, ideas, lay them on me. And as always rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.